All right, everyone. So welcome back. Um, today, I had like a lot of fun with one of my other clients, uh, John, like interviewing, interviewing them about their transformation journey. And I always find just a lot of my clients' lifestyles interesting, especially my current guest right now, Brenton Carter, which is basically like a, like a modern day hunter and gatherer, you know, for his occupation, paleontologist. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to talk to, I wanted to do this podcast episode, just kind of he made actually like a huge transformation on his own before we even started working together. I'll let him describe it in more detail, but he lost like a bunch of weight. Then he came to me wanting to lose kind of like that stubborn remaining body fat. And I feel like a lot of people struggle with that. You know, they lose their 20, 30, 40 pounds, but then they have that stubborn body fat in the midsection or wherever else in the body. And they can't seem to get rid of that little bit. So I wanted to interview him about what he did to kind of succeeding, getting rid of that, and then kind of really flattening his love handles and also about his job and, and all that other stuff. So, hey, Brenton, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you kind of just kind of go into your, your background of how you got into paleontology and stuff like that? Honestly, you're the first client I've ever trained that actually has been like a, a paleontologist. So. Really? <laughs> well, it all started, I guess, back in 1998, actually, maybe 1999. Um, anyway, uh, it was a game for the Game Boy that I think everybody is familiar with called Pokemon Red and Blue. Um, and there's, you know, like a, the whole idea of capturing animals and just kind of training them. Like, I don't know what the p appeal for that was, but to this day, I find it very appealing. You know, I wouldn't recommend it in person, catching wild animals. Uh, anyway, so I was playing through the game, and uh, there's a part in it where you go through Mount Moon, and you battle a super nerd and basically steal his, uh, steal his fossils that he worked very hard to find. And uh, later on in the game, you can revive these fossils into Pokemon that you can, you know, train and raise. Uh, so I think I collected the Helix fossil, which became the Pokemon Ammonite, which is based off of the real-life Ammonite fossils. And, you know, I remember when I kind of, like, connected the dots, you know, like, this was based on a real creature. I wanted to know more about the creature. Uh, and I think that was a great thing about Pokemon, too, is that a lot of these um, creatures were either based off of real-life animals or mythological animals, and I found uh, all of that really interesting, mm -hmm. um, but more so the prehistoric life. Uh, so, like, after reading about ammonites and becoming more interested on, well, how can I go collect my own fossils? Um, you know, like, it, it really just started, like, this snowball effect where I had to know everything about ammonites and then learning about the geological time periods that they lived in. I wanted to know about the other animals in those time periods or even the time periods before and after. Um, and, you know, that's kind of like a childhood obsession that I never really um, shook out of. <laughs> and now it's my career. Well, can you kind of go into the process of, because you got a PhD in paleontology, right? Yes. Yeah. Is... University of Glasgow. How does uh how does that process work? Like, what do you do in your undergraduate, for example? Uh, yeah, like so. My undergrad um is kind of like all over the place. Uh, before I even got into the sciences, I started out in illustration and fine arts. 
And then I realized I wasn't going to make a lot of money doing that, um, or at least at the time, because social media wasn't really a strong presence. And I think you kind of need social media in order to go into the arts. Uh, so that wasn't an option for me back in 2004, 2005. Uh, so I switched over to environmental sciences and I got my undergrad in that. Uh, from there, I studied geological sciences, which is where I got my master's in. Uh, with um, with a with a minor in marine biology, so I actually worked in marine biology as I was going for my master's, um, <clears throat> and when I finished my master's, I got the opportunity to actually study in Scotland for a semester, and this was to finish up my mess uh, my master's, and I just kind of never left. Um, I went there. It had to have been two thousand six, two thousand seven. And I didn't come back until I finished my PhD in paleontology back in 2017. Um, so yeah, you know, like it, it's just, it was a journey <laughs> of really figuring out what I wanted to do. And I think, you know, I think that's something a lot of young people can kind of relate to and even older people. Yeah. What was your, what was your focus with the PhD program? Uh, so I was trying to uh, prove that w with the discovery of dinosaur footprints on the Isle of Skye about 20 years, maybe even 15 years prior to that, uh, that there must be dinosaur footprints on mainland Scotland. Um, so I was studying sediment that was very uh, similar to sediment found in the Connecticut River Valley in western Massachusetts and you know Connecticut. Uh, which is really world-renowned for its abundance of trace fossils from the Mesozoic period, particularly the Triassic and Jurassic periods. Um, and that sediment was very similar to sediment that I was finding in northeast Scotland, uh, you know, as far south in the highlands as Drumnadrocket, which actually isn't very far south in the uh, highlands at all, and then further northeast to Cromarty, which is where Hugh Miller, um, a famous paleontologist, lived and worked. Uh, so it was in the, uh, I found one sediment in Drumnadrocket, but I wasn't able to really do a whole lot of study. I did find trace fossils of uh, fossil footprints, but I couldn't really submit that because it was on private property and I talked to the property owner and they didn't want me to make a big fuss about it because they could potentially lose that property, which is understandable. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, like I just kind of looked, I kept my eyes peeled for maybe another year. Uh, in that whole region, and it was when I went to the village of Cromarty, uh, particularly in the hills just behind Shandwick Bay, that I found another outcrop that was very similar to the sediments I was studying in Drumnadrocket and also the Connecticut River Valley. Uh, so, you know, I went back, I brought my hammer, my shovel, I dug enough to kind of expose more of the outcrop, and then I started peeling back um, sedimentary deposits and sure enough, I was finding footprints, and they were very similar to what we find in the Connecticut River Valley and the Isle of Skye. Uh, so I was able to kind of make that connection, and that's what my PhD thesis was kind of based on. Cool. I remember we talked about, like, uh, the first time you said, like, oh, you know, I'm digging up all these fossils. I brought up that scene from Fifth Element. Yep. I, I don't know. if is, he, is that guy technically a paleontologist? He's not, right? Um... I would have to watch it again. <laughs> okay, it's been a little yeah, while. It's been, been a long time. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, well, how is how is your how's your fitness journey? Because I remember you you told me, uh, you know, you've kind of at one point gained a lot of weight, and you kind of go into the background of what led you to yeah. do that. Or... 
So, you know, I, I think the weight gain really kind of stems from when I had to move back to the United States. Uh, so, like, uh, first thing, living in the UK, and particularly Scotland, um, a lot of people get the wrong idea that they have, like, a really weird boiled meat fetish when it comes to their diet, or that they have, like, a really icky um, diet, which is which really isn't true. They eat a lot of the same things that we eat. However, the difference is uh, their ingredients are usually much more fresh. Uh, they're not as... Um, what's it called um, out. exactly you know <laughs> like they come right from the farms from the neighboring villages or uh -huh. the village that you're in um so you know like uh when i moved back to the states i think it was kind of a shock to my system both culturally and you know like physically because all of a sudden i was intaking a lot more processed foods i was eating a lot more sodium um, and then, of course, I was back and forth between the continents a lot as I was moving and bringing stuff over and settling my affairs there after, what, 10 years? You know, and I think just the stress and then, of course, the American diet um, was a lot for my body to handle. And next thing you know, I go from 175, uh, maybe 170 to 174 to 230 at my heaviest that was 245 which was awful uh so yeah it was like 2018 that i really started to rapidly gain weight uh because when i moved back to the states too once everything was settled in scotland i became a little little more sedimentary um or my lifestyle did because i was looking for work because i didn't have a job lined up when i uh, moved back and i was um you know like i was just settling into a new place that i never really unpacked from because i was also buying a house at the same time it was just a lot all at mm -hmm. once and um you know we talked before people typically gain weight or uh, when they don't feel good and i wasn't feeling very good physically emotionally i was mentally exhausted all the time and it wasn't until i really settled down in uh, my house that i was like I need to get back to where I was or I'm not going to be able to continue doing what I do. Um, because part of paleontology is you have to really fit into these nooks and crannies and you have to be physically able to hike long distances. And all of a sudden I wasn't anymore. <laughs> and I was having a lot, uh, a harder time finding work as a result. Yeah. So for a lot of people that don't know Brenton, the guy hikes like 200 miles a day. And that's like a slow day today. <laughs> so it starts yeah, at 6 a.m. and ends at 5.59 a.m. the next day. <laughs> you know, it yeah, my aim, my aim is to do 10 miles every morning. And then for the rest of the day, I can just kind of work. <laughs> I, I notice when I do it in the morning, um, it doesn't feel like uh, that I'm walking a lot. And then I have the rest of the day to focus on everything else. Um, so, you know, that's kind of where my... Uh, my weight loss journey began. I just started walking. I started hiking more. And then as I started dropping the pounds, I started rock climbing a little bit more like I used to. And that was helping me gain a lot more like uh, upper body strength that I had lost after I gained all the weight. Um, you know, it's amazing how you can go from being physically fit and strong to being kind of a weakling <laughs> um, in just a year's time. <laughs> Well, what was that? What was the one, like that one 
turning point where you decided like, okay, it's time to not be like 240 pounds anymore? Like what's that one event? There's usually I, one event. No, I think it's because I never actually weighed myself when I moved back to the States. I knew I had gained weight, but I was always in denial as to how much it was. Like my clothes weren't fitting me anymore. And I was like, that's fine. I can easily lose like five pounds and sit back into everything. So I thought I had gained maybe five, 15 pounds max. And then I stepped on a digital scale, and when it said 245, I almost fell over. And it's a good thing I didn't, because I would have gone right through that, um, right through that floor in my apartment. Because <laughs> uh, I was scales broken, damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, first of all, like when I moved back to the states, I moved into this rundown apartment because I didn't have anything lined up, and and then I decided rather than spend all my money on a better apartment why not buy a house? So I ended up staying there a little bit longer than I wanted to, but it was, <laughs> the floors were weak. Like, uh, you could hear me walking, at least the neighbors, I'm sure they could hear the creaking of my floors. It was, it was not a, it was a nasty place. <laughs> so yeah, obviously at that weight, had I fallen over, I probably could have gone right through the floor. Well, I know like a lot of people that want to embark on a fitness journey, I feel these days it's like, way tougher than it normally would be not because of lifestyle demands like people are typically working more hours etc etc but also just because of like information overload like there's like yeah. a million and five diets a million and five different workout routines like it becomes like daunting to even try to break that down and figure out what's going to work for you did you have that kind of challenge yourself no i think that's one area where i'm kind of privileged is because like as an academic, I'm able to process a lot of information all at once, uh, which is why I uh, you probably found it shocking that I never had questions every time we would have. Yeah. Like, so for uh, the listeners, we have, I usually do a weekly phone call with clients and it lasts like 20 minutes with Brenton Carter. It was like 20 seconds. We're like, yeah. oh, I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> well, like, because you would, you would send me the data and the information and what I needed to achieve. And, you know, like I, I would read it and it just clicked to me, you know, like, um, I would maybe do some research on my own after about what you said, but like it all added up. Uh, so like, what was the point of just, you know, discussing it further if I didn't have questions? Um, and it worked out for me too, because I'm, as of this morning, I'm 172 pounds. Um, I've got my six pack showing, which, you know, means a lot to me and I don't have love handles even more importantly. Well, what did you what did you find most challenging in the beginning when you were 240 at first? Did you find like the lifestyle, the nutrition, the workout portion most um, challenging? So I have a pretty healthy uh, diet anyway. Uh, I mean, for those who don't know, I am an ethical vegetarian. I don't blame, I don't uh, judge people who eat meat, but you know, that's just where I am. So um, I was relying pretty heavily on carbs when I moved back to the States because I didn't have the like the freshness that I was so accustomed to in Scotland of like um, like uh, fresh cheeses. I'm not a total vegan, by the way. I love cheese. I can't not have it. Um, like fresh greens, uh, vegetables. Everything here was processed, and when I moved back here, like I had to make a lot of my meals so quick because I was so busy looking for work or either working, and it just it became too much too soon. Uh, but I think once I got my brain in the game and I became dedicated to lose the weight, um, it came it, it came rather naturally to me because I like being outside and I like walking. I think 
the most challenging part was in the beginning when I started walking, I could maybe only do two and a half miles a day before getting winded. But as time progressed, I started walking more and more. And now I walk 10 miles and it's not even a problem for me anymore. Yeah. And it's part of your, for the listeners, it's part of your job as well. Like you're actually going out there and looking for fossils and stuff like that, which is actually one thing that I found like super interesting because you're posting your like pictures and you're like, hey, I found this like dinosaur footprint. And I'm like, hey, I don't find any dinosaur footprints at the park. You know? (laughs) Like I do a lot of research before I bring my hammer anywhere. Um, And, you know, like it's really all about knowing what rocks you're looking at and how old they are. So like before I even go anywhere, I'll do research, like a geological study of the area to see how old it is and what kind of rock is there. If it's igneous or metamorphic rock, I don't even bother. You got to go with sedimentary rock and you also have to know how old that rock is and how it formed. Uh, for instance, um, places where footprints typically form, you won't find fossil remains like bones because the environment allowed for the rapid um, preservation of the footprint, but also rapid decay of like a dead specimen, which would not preserve very well. Whereas uh, where specimens are preserved, but footprints aren't, the environment was just right to preserve the skeletal remains, but not the trace of the animal that it left behind, if that makes any sense. Gotcha. Very little, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) I'll rewatch this episode, I'm sure, and I'll get it the second time around. Right. Well, did you, uh, was your weight loss in the beginning when you were 240 at first, was it pretty, pretty fast or did you kind of, was it very stubborn to kind of come off? Um, You know, it started really fast. Um, I think I gained, I not gained, I lost about 10 pounds in the first month. Uh, Then in the second month, I lost an additional 15. So that was 25 pounds right there. Uh, Then I had about 40 to go. Um, So then, you know, like, uh, I think it was the very last 15 where it became a problem for me. And that's when I saw your videos. And, you know, like, the gays love you. So (laughs) I did too. Um, And, you know, like, uh, I just saw all of the... um, the photos you were posting of your previous clients. And I was like, you know, like, I think I got to bite the bullet and just pay the money and contact them because I can't get rid of these love handles. And uh, yeah, like it was easy up until the last 15 pounds. The last 15 pounds, I couldn't offer the life of me figure out why I couldn't lose my love handles or, you know, show off my sick pack, uh, six pack. Well, what do you feel? What do you feel was like the... I guess the most challenging part was in terms of like reaching out to a trainer, especially like an online trainer, because a yeah. lot of people aren't familiar with online training. So, so I've, um, I've, I'm a pretty skeptical person. Uh, so like it, it did kind of take a lot of nerve for me to really just message you and be like, can you help me with this? Um, especially on, you know, online, because I've had personal trainers before in the past and it's always been in person or at the gym. And um, in my experience with my personal trainers at the gym, they don't really know what they're talking about. They just kind of like feed you the same thing that the gym will tell them to feed you. Um, so like uh, they, they didn't really get to know me on a personal level the way that you would. I was just another client to them. Um, and I think, you know, like I'm in hindsight, I'm glad I reached out to you because you not only got to know me as a person, but you got to know my biology too. Like, 
what makes me me, not just mentally, but physically too. Um, and I think that's what kind of separated you from other, you know, um, fitness coaches. And I think that's what, why it was so effective with me because you really got into the nitty gritty of like how much protein I should be having and what else I should be consuming or not consuming and what workouts I really need to do to kind of target the areas that I wasn't targeting very um, successfully before. Gotcha. Well, what's, what was, what do you feel was like your biggest hesitation about online training? I'm just curious because everyone has their own opinions on it. Mm, you know, like, I don't know if I had a whole lot of hesitation. I mean, you know, like, it's kind of like going onto a website that you've never heard of before and, you know, just trusting them with your credit card information, you know, like, um, like, how do you know that I'm not just being taken advantage of, you know, it's just that typical, um, that typical, um, you know, fear that we should all kind of be skeptical of having. But, you know, like, uh, I think what really helped is that you had a successful track record, uh, which a lot of people don't. And I was, you know, like, also, we were friends on social media. So, like, you know, what did I have to lose other than, you know, like, some money? <laughs> gotcha. Well, what do you feel was, what do you feel was the biggest change between like doing the, the approach we took versus like what you're doing already that got you to lose like a lot of weight, even on your own? So. Um, so I wasn't really doing, I was pretty much only walking and I was also lifting weights here and there, but I wasn't doing any pull-ups. I wasn't really doing any of the core workouts that I should have been doing. And um, I think that's something you kind of picked up on too. Uh, and you you really drove it home that I need to be doing those core workouts and I really got to find a way to do those pull-ups, which are the most important, I think, uh, especially for my shoulders and my back. Um, because, like, yeah, like, I looked good from the front, but my back, like, that's where the love handles were really starting to show, and you picked up on that, which is good. Um, so, yeah, happily now I have a very muscular back, and I have a pretty trim front and yeah I, I really like just doing the core workouts and the pull-ups and everything else you had me do aside from the walking that I was doing and then also you had me cut down on the cardio too which I think was really helpful because um that helped me retain my muscle mass and not get too slim because uh, I didn't want to be too slim gotcha are you still planning on are you still I'm um... I've always been trying to, during the whole entire program, convince you to do your own show. I think yeah, like, the bare right? heels of like paleontology, just running around without a shirt on and hunting <laughs> dinosaur <Yeah>. fossils. <laughs> I, am, uh, I still am planning on doing that. Uh, obviously, the pandemic has kind of like tossed a wrench in that. Uh, because even before um, the pandemic, like uh, when I had my online fossil store, that really thrived because I had a really diverse inventory and I only had a diverse inventory of fossils because I was able to travel pretty consistently. I can't go anywhere, <laughs> you know, let alone, like, uh, I could travel within the States. I mean, there's risk factors there too, but I did a lot of my travels internationally and we're at a point right now where other countries don't really want us right now because we haven't gotten a handle on the pandemic. So, you know, like, um, I could make video content, but if I start now, it's going to be the same things over and over again until I can start traveling more consistently. 
Or like Ty Lopez, just here in my garage. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, there you go, man. That's yeah. low budget, high efficiency. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's why I'm starting the blog series too, to kind of transition uh, for when I'm ready to transition from blog to video blog. Um, I think that'll, you know, help me, you know, like uh, just kind of help transition my audience basically. Uh, so that they see it coming and I can kind of work myself up with that. Gotcha. Well, what's your, what's your take on um, this whole entire like election stuff coming to a conclusion? Oh, thank God it's over. <laughs> you know, like um, when Biden was announced, I was ready to like throw on my blue wig and just start dancing. You know, <laughs> just, I am so glad it's over. It was so stressful and, you know, Trump is trying to drag it out now, but you know, like the election's called. Just we, I think, as Americans, we all just need to move on and you know do better and <laughs> you know really get a handle on this pandemic. You know, that's what I think I'm most excited about is that we might actually have some leadership that can actually move forward with getting this pandemic under control, so that I can start traveling again and so that a thousand people a day aren't dying. <laughs> More importantly, the people not dying. Um, what's, the, what's the deal with the travel restrictions? I haven't looked into it recently. Um, I'm planning on traveling somewhere in like April, but I don't know right. what, uh, what the deal so, is. Uh, I know with the UK and a lot of the EU right now, um, for Americans traveling into Europe, they have to quarantine at least for two weeks, which is fair. Uh, but the thing is, like, if I'm traveling at two weeks at a time, like, I'm going to be spending all of that time in quarantine <laughs> before coming home. Um, and, you know, that's just a precaution because Americans, <laughs> by and large, have not uh, been taking the pandemic seriously. Had we been taking the pandemic a little bit more seriously, maybe the restrictions on American travel wouldn't be so harsh. But, you know, this, as we're entering our third spike, I think this is just a protective measure to make sure that their people are safe, too, when we come in bringing in all of our diseases. Which is really ironic, considering it was Europeans that came over and brought over the diseases first, which, you know, killed off most of my ancestors, but it is what it is. Gotcha. Well, what's your, what's your kind of strategy of not rebounding back to being 240? Because I know that's a huge challenge as well. Obviously, losing the weight is a huge challenge, but then oh, yeah. the bigger yeah. challenge is kind of keeping it off for the rest of your life. And I find right. that's where most people fail, like long-term at least if not even short-term so um i've been active every day as you know i walk 10 miles a day i uh, will usually I do a little bit more i do about 15 to 17 miles in the morning uh, which takes about four and a half hours but by the time i'm done at nine o'clock i've got the rest of the day uh early bird that helps and i think you kind of trained me into being an early bird because I wasn't before you got my sleep pattern all down which is helpful um and you know honestly I'm just not as hungry as I used to be um so this morning I made in place of mac and cheese which is a personal favorite of mine uh I have collard greens that I grow in my backyard mm -hmm. and then I chop them up and then you know like uh I'll add in like queso cheese and like like other cheeses and it's kind of like a collard green version of mac and cheese and I had that this morning and a very small dose I have three other servings that I'll have 
either tonight and then tomorrow morning. So I've been prepping my meals ahead of time, which helps. Um, I've been eating smaller portions, but then again, I'm not as hungry as I used to be. And I think that has been pretty helpful in keeping the weight off. Maybe a little too helpful because I, <laughs> I did lose two pounds again. And I'm at a point now where I don't want to lose weight, so maybe I should kind of increase my uh, protein intake at the very least. Gotcha. Are you still continuing to like lift weights a lot more often? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, uh, so my muscle mass is getting um, more noticeable. I was wearing a black T-shirt the other day, and my neighbor <laughs> commented that my chest was popping, which was flattering because she's a little old lady, and for her to be looking at my chest, you know, like must be noticeable um moreover say your chest is popping you know yeah, someone yeah, born in 1950 and you know she was like a good maybe 50 feet away from me i was bringing out my garbage can and she just yells at me that my chest is popping <laughs> and you know like um like, I don't get embarrassed, but I was definitely blushing. I was a little embarrassed because <laughs> there was, like, this other neighbor I have that was walking her three dogs at the time, and it was just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it was flattering. Well, what's your, what's your goal for your physique going forward? Um, I would definitely like to um, increase my muscle mass. Um, my biceps are really strong right now, but I want them to get bigger. Um, because, not necessarily for a, um, a vanity measure, but I do lift a lot when I'm out in the field. And I know when I was, uh, when I gained weight, I was struggling really lifting the rocks and carrying the amount that I, I need to carry. Because uh, in my backpack, um, at any time, I'll have a variety of hammers and chisels, which are about 25 pounds on their own. And then I'll stuff them with uh, my bag with rocks as I'm walking back to my truck. And I was getting winded in five minutes. Like, uh, I could be carrying about 200 pounds in my backpack, and I would get winded in five minutes. And now I'm getting to the point where I get winded after about three miles. And then I have to take a break. So, you know, like, I would like to build up um, my muscle mass a little bit more so that I could maybe walk the entire duration without having to stop. But, you know, we'll see how that goes. I don't know if you kept track of this. I noticed with um, with a lot of clients, like getting them to live a more health-conscious lifestyle, they actually end up saving more money. And I say that because uh, oh, yeah. you know, the average American, obviously, like according to my research, spends anywhere between like seven to 15000 a year in non-essential expenses, mm -hmm. which would include like, alcohol, eating out at fast food places with coworkers for lunch, Netflix right. subscriptions, all these like little things. And I found just getting them to convert to a, like a, at least a USDA supermarket level organic diet, which is about for 12, for 2000 calories a day, about $12 and 20 cents a day to be a lot cheaper of an alternative than eating that fast food kind of junk right. or processed food. You know, so like, uh, you bring up a good point. Like, um, so basically, the money I paid you pretty much already paid me back with the amount that I'm not spending on, like, things here and there. So um, I know we talked about my coffee addiction before, but I had and still have a pretty serious caffeine addiction. Uh, but one thing I did to cut down on that was rather than buying a takeaway coffee every morning and afternoon, 
and evening because I would have to read <laughs> in between all those hours. You know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been making my own coffee, and you know, as I'm making my own coffee, I'm also starting to wean myself down on my caffeine intake too. Uh, so making my own coffee was saving me like, so I would spend maybe on average ten dollars a day on coffee. Uh, so I'm saving $10 a day on coffee. I think two months ago, I spent $425 on coffee alone for the month. Uh, so, so far this month, I've saved half that. <laughs> and I'm also drinking two cups of coffee a day. And eventually, I want to get myself down to one. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, like I'm, I'm saving money just by, on coffee alone. And also, like, uh, there's like this... Uh, restaurant up the street that uh, specializes in vegan food and um, I love them but I've also been not relying as heavily on ordering out from them um, every day so maybe I'll treat myself to that once or twice a month and not do it three days a week like I was before so saving money there too. Are you still doing your at-home so, garden? Yeah I'm still doing my at-home garden so uh, most of uh, we did have like a freak snowstorm a few weeks ago and it killed my uh, tomatoes but everything else survived um, so I'm still eating off of that saving money there um, and yeah you know like I'm just like I said before I'm not as hungry as I was before your program so that alone is saving me a lot of money yeah like I always tell people if you convert them to sourcing like legitimate actual real food uh, the typical person I find, especially like in the beginning of the program, eats like 30% less calories and feels a lot more full than they did on a higher calorie intake. Because before they're eating just a bunch of empty calories, you know, from like fast food or processed food. Exactly. And when you get them to convert to nutritionally dense food, and this is just across the board, they can look up many studies, like people typically eat just a lot less food when they're eating real food because it's so much more filling. Exactly. Especially like being... You know, like having the at-home garden, which is huge, I think, for a lot of vegetarians don't know. But like a lot of the produce at the supermarket, you know, it's like picked before it's ripened, you know, so you lose nutritional value there. And it's like two or three weeks old by the time you actually buy it at the grocery store. Then it sits in your counter for another two or three days. And then by the time right. you eat it, it's kind of just like empty food, you know? Right. Like when I pick my own spinach, it's like really crisp and fresh and kind of like what I was accustomed to when I lived overseas. Whereas if I buy spinach at the grocery store, I have to use it within three days and or you know, on its way out. Um, so, you know, like that helps too, but you know, like you understandably not everybody has the space to really have their own garden like that. So. True. But then there's always, you know, like companies like farmfresh2u.com that exactly. deliver like small local farms in your area that grow seasonally. That's, um, that's like an alternative as well. And it's like a lot fresher than what you would find at the supermarket. Exactly. Uh, then there's also the trickery of like the U.S. is the only country that allows like hydroponics to be certified as organic. So like a lot of the yeah. bell peppers, tomatoes, lettuce, blueberries you find, strawberries you find at the supermarket all come from hydroponics. They're not even like grown in the soil. So obviously you're going to get a lot less nutrition there because they eliminate the biggest way that the nutrition gains its or the, the vegetable or crop gains its nutrients to begin with and that's through interacting with the soil you know the exactly. composition between the bacteria and fungi and then the soil food web that's created to match that unique ratio to that specific plant uh like etc cetera, etc cetera. so 
a lot of times people like I feel like they're eating healthy. They're also missing a huge part about like how's that food being sourced, you know, because you know, this steak isn't the same, like a factory farm steak, for example, isn't the same as a pasture raised steak or even wild game or hydroponically grown lettuce is definitely not going to be the same as lettuce grown in a well-managed biodynamic farm that's in the soil. So there's like so much variability and that goes like I feel like completely under the radar of like most people. I feel like a lot of times that's the part I have to spend the most time educating kind of like quote-unquote healthy eaters on because they've been like oh you know I eat healthy and then kind of break down how they're sourcing their food and it's like I don't know man there's a lot of lot of room for improvement there. So yeah, I think that's important for a lot of people to understand too, is that just because the grocery store might tell you it's organic doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Um, and you know, like I argue with my mother about that a lot too, because she'll argue that she's eating healthy. It's like, ma, just because you got it at Trader Joe's doesn't mean that it's like good for you. <laughs> And that's her argument. It's like, oh, I got it at Trader Joe's. <laughs> that doesn't mean shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, for the most part, factory farm food with a little pretty label, you know. Yeah, that's with a bow on it. Yeah, exactly. Well, what's your, as a, as a final question, like, what's your, how do you, what's your strategy or what's your mindset of how to mold your health goals into, like, a busy schedule, like, entrepreneurial schedule? I know you have, like, clothing line, plus you have... Right you know, like another shop that sells the actual fossils. And then also you still have to do research. I take it still to keep up with your studies and like probably a million other things that I'm not mentioning either. And I also teach too. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, like it, it's kind of second nature to me at this point. Um, I think it was a problem in the beginning, just kind of like fitting everything in at once. Uh, but what really helped me is that I go to bed no later than 10 o'clock at night. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I feed my dog and I get him ready for our walk. And then from 5 a.m. to approximately 8.30 to 9, we're going on our 10 to 15 mile hike. And, you know, like I know, like a lot of people don't uh, think, might think that that sounds like a lot, uh, you know, a lot of a, a, a long distance for sh- a short amount of time, but it really isn't. Uh, Because the way I do it, like the park down the street from me is about a mile away. And then by the time I walk around it, it's two miles. And I usually walk around it a few times and then I just walk home um, after that just to get the 10 miles in. Uh, So it's, you know, I think it's become such a part of my routine now that I don't even think about it. And I think that's the best advice I could give to others is to just make it part of your daily routine. Move a few things around if you have to, but it will become a lot more manageable to you. And it's manageable to me because I get up earlier now and I have a lot more time in my day because of that. Gotcha. Okay, cool, man. Well, thanks for, thanks for being a guest. Uh, do you have like any other kind of helpful tips or advice that could help other people out that are looking to start their fat loss journey? And- to not run into some problems you ran into. Yeah, you know, like if you if you happen to get on the scale like me, like I did when I was two forty five, don't fall over, <laughs> and you know, most importantly, don't panic because it is not the end of the world. And uh, the first step to really losing the weight is kind of acknowledging that 
that you are where you are and that it can be changed. Uh, so like never think for a minute that you can't change it. Never think for a minute that this is just who you are, you know, like, because it, it's not like, you know, that's a defeatist attitude. And if you continue, um, oh, sorry, there's just like a random fly flying in front of me. that fly. Yeah, no, that fly. Um, but you know, it, it just, I know it sounds generic, but just be positive and, you know, strive to be better and you will be better. Cool. All right. Well, honestly, it was great uh, to train with you when we did. Uh, I thought you were like one of the easiest clients in the world, honestly. <laughs> Thank you. Cool to hear about your adventures whenever we would have our short weekly chats as well. Right. Uh, so happy I ran into you, man. Happy that you made, you know, the huge transformation yourself. And then we had to finish the last bit together. Yeah, I'm uh, happy to be a part of that. So very happy with the results and uh yeah i'll keep sending people your way like i have been you know like, thank you yeah no problem actually um i'm trying out for a local basketball team so <laughs> you know like if people have any questions about like um because like a lot of the people on this team are people who knew me when i was overweight so you know if they ask ask about it i'll just send them your way <laughs> oh, i always appreciate it man honestly it was great it was great to work with you so yeah, thanks like for being a guest yeah, thank you for having me.